the Smiths with the track called Girl Afraid from the album Hat Full of Hollow. This is David Store, and this is The C86 Show. Hello and welcome to another epic show. Yes, as I said, The C86 Show always bringing you the finest in indie pop from the golden decade. That was the 80s. And as you might know, if you've been paying attention, we always like a special guest. And this week, I caught up with one of the main members of the band, the young marble giants, Stuart Moxham, to find out more about life in a sort of post-punk indie band from the late 70s and onwards. So I'll be bringing that interview in three easy-to-digest little segments. But to keep the show rolling, I thought we should start with one of their classic songs and one that... um, I suppose I was introduced to um, this is final day. Kids up on the window pane when the baby cries. Alive. 
There is so much noise, there is too much heat And the living floor throws you off your feet As the final day falls into the night There is peace outside in the narrow more top tunes that was the blue airplanes on the track called jacket hangs and that came from the album 
Swagger, all the way from Bristol. And before that, that um, yes, our special guest, it was the young Marble Giants. And the, um, the song that I first heard of theirs back in 1980 on an EP called Final Day, which was all about the wonderful world that was going to be the nuclear war that was going to wipe out the human race and lots of other little animals and wildlife as well. We had a great time in the 80s, I have to admit. But um, yes, this week's special guest is the Young Marble Giants because I caught up with one of the lead singer-songwriters from the band Stuart Moxham to find out more about life, love and poetry, or just about life in a band, really. So yes, I'll be bringing that interview in three sections towards the latter half of the show, but we like to keep the party rolling. And um, I haven't played anything from... Everything but the girl. This is each and every one.
Yes, rock and roll there. That was um, all the way from Australia. The band called The Hard-Ons, and yes, we love them. And uh, that was a track called Girl in the Sweater. And before that, we had the jazz sounds of Everything But the Girl and the track called Each and Every One from their album Home Movies. This is David Esau. This is the C86 Show on Future Radio. If you want to contact me, we always love your messages. You can via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86 Show and I'll be there. But as I was saying, and hopefully you were paying attention at the beginning of the show, um, this week's special guest, it is going to be the Young Marble Giants because I caught up with Stuart Moxham from the band to find out more about his musical journey. So, because we're feeling particularly biased towards them, we thought we should play another track. This is Brand New, brand new Life.
And that was Pete Wiley with a track called Still Love You, one-time member of WAR. And before that, we had our special guest, yes, the young Marvel Giants, and the track called A Brand New Life, featuring the one and only Alison Stutton on vocals all the way from Cardiff. Anyway, this is David E. Storr, and this is the C86 Show. And as I um, mentioned at the beginning of the show, we, well, I caught up with Stuart Moxham from the young Marvel Giants to find out more about his life in music and also the band. And I'll play you the first part of that interview because um, it comes in three easy to digest little segments and um, I don't want to run out of time. But this is the uh, first part where I talk about the first time I heard the band, which was with their track called Final Day. And this is the feature. Well, yes, yeah, an incredibly intense subject, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to do it justice, it has to be that way, I think. Yes. You know, 
uh, any any topic that's uh, you know, if it, whether it's teenage love affairs, you know, they are incredibly intense as well, you know. And it's a question as a writer, I suppose, of um, distilling the essence of something in, a, in such a way that it resonates, you know, for people. Absolutely. And that's what, that's what one does. I mean, how did you get, you know, how did the band sort of form? Because this was, you were sort of in Cardiff, weren't you, at the time? Yeah. And so yeah. did you have quite well, a sort we, of... You were born and raised in Cardiff, yeah. So was there yeah. quite a community in, in the region of people who were quite like-minded? I think there was everywhere, really. It's sort of a zeitgeist thing, you know. Uh, at the time, I didn't realise that, but having sort of read books like, you know, Ripple Up and Start Again... It made me realise that what we were doing was what people were doing in in Glasgow or in Sheffield, you know, um, without knowing, you know, uh, that there is, you know, it's a it's a, a cultural phenomenon, I suppose. Yes. It's you know it's it's produced by the times, you know, it's uh, uh, it's contemporary music in a way. I think the difference with post punk, I think, made it very interesting was that it wasn't, you know, it's a bit like the Russian Revolution or something, you know, where you had the first lot came through, did all the kind of murdering and uh, all the big uh, basic stuff, and then you you have the next lot come through, and it's a bit more, it's not so much about the desperate business, you know, of overthrow, um, but it's more about trying to build something new. Yes. And, um, you know, so punk music happened and, and, and was a, a tremendous trigger and you know um and a freeing thing for a lot of people um and i mean i didn't appreciate this at the time but um you know certainly our desire to to do something good um was was aided hugely by the atmosphere of freedom that you 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 know you didn't have to ape american music or something you know you, you could um you could muck about you know uh you know and, and all creativity comes from mucking about really you know it's all it's all making mud pies really yes i well it's interesting i always remember jeffrey bernard the, the sort of he did a, a, yeah. a column and he said he, he often fancied being an actor because it just looked like you were messing about on stage with some mates which I, was, right. which I always thought was quite a nice little thing about acting, really. So um, I think... I think it might appear to be that way. I'm not sure it actually is quite <laughs> as simple as that. But uh, I'm yeah, sure there's, there's definitely tr an element of truth in it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when I mean you... there's, there's an unreality about anything other than on a stage. You know, it's all an artifice because you're on a stage. So it's a literal thing which puts you above the audience. And in order not to be pretentious and to be pelted and shouted down and booed off, you have to provide something which justifies your getting up on an elevated platform. Yeah. And, and it's a compact, you know, when, when, when you're in the audience, you want to be entertained. And when you're on the stage, you, you, you know, you hope you're going to entertain. <laughs> and, but, be, but it's not a bear pit. You know, there's it, a mutual desire for something to happen. I know, but, so, but but there has been exchange and expectations, hasn't there, as a member of the audience? Yes. Yeah. 
Um, so we're not, we're, you know, in a way, the, the the people in the crowd aren't the same as those on stage. So I mean, it's that that moment that one is going to be hopefully elevated and taken out of one's normal life by this artist that's there. And exactly the same for the artist as well. I mean, for the artist, it's um, you know, you may have your rabbit in the hat and and whatever, and the handkerchiefs up your sleeve and everything. Um, but there, but it's it's a, it's a mutual occasion created both by the act and by the audience. You know, so what each responds to the other. And it's it's all about the audience and the artist um, giving themselves to this mutual desire to be elevated. Everybody's elevated. You know, it's not just a kind of going through the motions thing on stage. You know, every night is different. Every every gig is unique. And that was my first part of the interview with Stuart Moxham from The Young Marble Giants. I've still got two more parts of that interview to play before the end of the show. But because um, we're obviously having a bit of a love fest with The Young Marble Giants, we, well, I thought we should play another track from their first album. This is Searching for Mr. Wright. Right. 
East Village with a track called Cubans in the Blue Fields and that came from their highly collectible EP called Strike Up Matches and that also came out on a compilation that was released very recently called the C88 um, Collection and that came out on Cherry Red Records and that is a triple kind of CD package with very groovy um, sleeve notes as well as, you know, a lot of amazing music. I think about 65 tracks in all. So anyway, Christmas just around the corner. It could just make the perfect present for that um, indie kid in your life. And before that, we had the young young Marble Giants and the track called Searching for Mr. Right. This is David Eastall, The C86 Show. And this is the second part of my interview with Stuart Moxham from the band, where I ask him what he would say to his 18-year-old self. I would say a lot of things, <laughs> but <laughs> to my so actually literally to myself, I would say you need a team. It's not enough to be, say, a, you know, a decent songwriter. Um, it's not enough to have a good singer as well, and even a good band. You need a manager. Now, how you get a manager, I just don't know. How do you get struck by lightning, you know? And you may not get a good one. But but that's what you need, because the trouble is that the whole of the music industry depends on the interface between art and commerce, two completely different things. So the artist and, the, and his or her agenda 
is, is almost meaningless to the person who's trying to give the shareholders a better cigar at Christmas. Right. You know, and it's that interface where you need somebody who who can bridge both you can bridge between those two things and that, and that's a very important person to have on the team i think because mm. actually it, when you mentioned that <clears throat> the, the the band and artist that really sort of sprung to my mind was actually the police and they mm. they managed to get a very good manager very early i think it was the brothers the drummer's brother wasn't it miles yeah. copeland and he was yeah. kind of he knew how to do the business and um, yeah. make sure that his brother and the band were going to get a lot of money, plus him, and um, and they could get on and make their rather um, easy-to-digest pop, reggae. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, they, they were all kind of seasoned musicians anyway, you know. Well, Andy Summer was, was somebody who went back to Particularly the Andy Summer. Yes, yeah. he was a genius. Yeah. Because yeah. cause, cause doing quite a lot of interviews, I did notice that a lot of bands, they do have a sort of a five-year arc, whereas yours was a bit shorter than that. But then you've had a lot of reunions. So how did your first couple of years develop and how how come it sort of stopped in 1980? Um, well, um, we the three of us had been in a, in a covers band previously. Um, and that sort of came to its natural end, really. Um, and then we were looking around for something else, you know, to, to do, with, you know, and, and nothing really came along. Um, and I was just thinking one day, well, you know, I've written songs and I, you know, I like writing songs. Put two and two together. Oh, I could get a band and do my own song. And, um, and literally, you know, within 24 hours, Phil and Alison came around to my flat and said, oh, yeah, you know, I said, oh, I just had this idea. And they said, oh, yeah, we were thinking that as well. So so that's how the three of us got together as a band. Um, with, you know, everything was very tacit. Nothing, we're not, you know, we didn't communicate really verbally at all, um, ever, in fact. Um, we're just that sort of... You know, those sort of people, really. Yes. So, so that made it very difficult because if we don't communicate, you know, it's like any relationship; it's just not. It's going to wither on the vine. Um, but it's a question of what you can achieve before the end comes along. You know, I mean, I. You you have to understand the context of being in Cardiff in the late seventies. It was like being in, on Mars. Nobody was interested. People laughed at the Welsh. You know. Uh, you know, no one wanted to know in the music business. Um, there's a lot of racism, if you like. Um, so we had, we felt we had to overcome that enormous obstacle, which is like enough people in Brighton didn't have to do that. You know, um, I keep going about Brighton, but you know, it could be, <laughs> it could be or Bristol, yes, yeah, or whatever. So, so we, we not only were we were we a new band, you know, with the usual stuff, but we had that to overcome as well. We felt, and I was twenty five, you know, or twenty four, and I just I just couldn't be hanging around, you know. I mean, I knew that I wanted to be a songwriter, um, but I just I was absolutely convinced that it was never going to work. I sort of gave it my best shot. So it was this very bizarre situation of putting everything into this, literally everything into this project. But at the same time, being totally convinced that it was, how could it possibly work? Um, and I, you know, 
by the sort of end of 1979, I, I, just, I said, well, you know, I'm going to give this till Christmas. I'm going to go and live in Berlin. Um, and, you know, then it, it, miraculously, um, with, again, this is because of other people, you know, which you could call a team, you know, people who helped us, you know, um, and support us and like what we were doing, we found ourselves really quickly on, you know, the most trendy label on the planet at the time. Um, and with a free hand, you know, it was all, un it was like unbelievable. And we made the record and it's like, oh, we've done it. We've actually done it. At that point, we felt like we completed what we set out to do. And this was on, so rough, we, was this rough trade or? or uh, yeah, yeah, rough trade. Yes. Yeah. So we, we came out with an album, you know, not a single or an EP, but a whole album from nowhere on Rough Trade, which is a big splash to make. Mm. And, you know, but I'd been planning for failure. I hadn't been planning for success. So I had no, what do we do next at all? And then we found ourselves suddenly headlining in London, you know, and in Europe with other bands who were a bit pissed off because they'd been around quite a long time. I'm like, who are these people coming along? And we're now second fiddle to them. And, and then we were in America, you know, which was utterly, you know, beyond belief. And so the whole thing just wrong-footed me, certainly. I think all of us, I think the three of us were, you know, and, and also there were personal relationships which were, which were going wrong at the same time. Um, so the whole thing just sort of crumbled away, really. It was, it was never going to last because, because of all those factors, you know. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, looking back on it now, yes, we had fantastic reviews, you know, reviews to die for. Um, and it did well. It did really well. And the money came through. Um, and then there was a sort of, for a few years, you know, there was a sort of lull, really. And that was my second part of the interview with Stuart Moxham from the Young Marble Giants. And um, as I said before, and I might just repeat it just because I um, want to make a very groovy link here. If you want to contact me, you can via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86show and I'll be there, David Eastor. Always happy to receive. But uh, we've got one more part of that interview. But before that, I think we should play one more song. This is by Kristen Hirsch and this is from the album Strange angels in the track called Like You.
And that was Kristen Hirsch and the track called Like You from Strange Angels. This is David Eastall and this is the third part of my interview with Stuart Moxham from the Young Marble Giants where I talk about the latter years and when they reformed in around 2007. Take it away, Stuart. We reformed in 2007. I mean, it was on the basis that we would try and write some new stuff, you know. Um, and that, that didn't come about. That didn't happen. Um, the thing we said we wouldn't do is, oh, we're not going to be another 80s comeback band, you know. But, but as it happened, we did, um, we had agreed to do a gig for Rough Trade. Yes. Um, you know, because they were planning, a, I think it was 25th anniversary or something. And I think it was Morrissey pulling out that the deck of cards collapsed. And that never happened. That gig never happened. That weekend, in fact. So, so but we still, we'd agreed between ourselves that we would do a gig. Um, and so I said, well, look, you know, Domino is going to put this stuff out. It would be great if we did a gig to launch it. Um, and that was in um, an amazing hotel, uh, the Baskerville Hotel in um, in Wales. Uh, I can't think of the name. What's it called? The Where the big book festival is. Oh, um, the Hay on Wye Festival. That's the one, yeah. It was actually a hotel that inspired Conan Doyle to write the hand of the basketball. It was an amazing building. It's like being in a dream, being in there, or a nightmare, anyway. And <laughs> anyway, so we did this gig, and, you know, this is uh, nearly 30 years after our first appearance, if you like. And so it, the place was full, and the atmosphere was incredible. And our mum, our mum was there, you know, and people were going up to her and saying, oh, you're their mum, you're their mum, you know, and sort of touching the hem of her garment and stuff, you know. And then and all these faces came out of the past and the future. You know, it was just a complete catalyst. Um, and we had we found ourselves with a wonderful uh, French booking agency. Um, and they said, would you like to play Paris, you know? And we all went, God, yeah, of course we would, you know. How wonderful. And it just... We did eight years of gigs, you know. Um, I mean, only a couple of years, but um, yeah. So that was that was our coming back together. That was our reunion, you know. And so, where are you kind of now with the, with your um, musical journey and the, with the band? Um, well, uh, there are lots of unresolved, you know, things because we we don't talk to each other. Um, it was in a way, it was like picking up exactly where we left off. In, in an emotional sense, you know, I think hugely complicated by the fact that there were three brothers now in the band because we recruited Andrew as our drummer. Um, so there's still a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of tensions between people. Um, some things had improved and others just got worse, really. Uh, I, I didn't want to be, I wanted to write new stuff. You know, I just thought, well, we've definitely got, you know, several equally good albums in us. I'm sure of it, you know. I still think we could do it now, but it's just the personal stuff just got in the way, really. And right now, so we did our, we did this gig in um, the Royal Festival Hall, which it was obviously a high point, you know, and I just decided, well, we're going to go out on a bang. We didn't tell anybody about it. Um, and we just agreed that that was it. You know, we were going to, put it to bed yes. uh, for good really and now it's fantastic because you know I I get on with everybody and uh, you know um, things are as they should be between 
as brothers. And that's much more important to me than, you know, than the band, you know. Yes. Basically, it's it's very, very, very difficult. Um, and as, as we all know, you know, it's bad and it's difficult enough being in a band, but when it involves family as well, it's very difficult indeed. Recently, you wrote something on Facebook that looked slightly disillusioned with life. Not with life, but just with the business of wanting to make a living from from music. I mean, the trouble is my ambition is too small by far. To make a living from music is is like, you know, it's it's pathetic. You know, I mean, the, the whole thing is set up for people like, you know, like Sting, you know, people who want to be wealthy and want to be world famous and, you know, have tremendous self-belief. One of the problems for me is that my ambition is too small. You know, I don't want a speedboat. I don't want more than one house. I just want enough to live on. And, you know, um, I don't think that's achievable, actually. Unless, you know, unless you're happy being a busker. I, I, I would love to be a busker, but I just haven't got the balls for it, you know. Yes. And um, so, yes, that is about spending the last, you know, I'm just, I'm so skint. I mean, right now, um, I don't look at the bank accounts. You know, I, I don't know how the bills are going to be paid. And this is how it's been, you know, all my adult life. And it is very corrosive. You know, I'm, I'm 62 now. You know, I don't want to be dealing with all this anymore. You know, I just, I can't take the stress. You know, I can't take the, the agony of it. It's, it's, uh, it's silly. You know, <laughs> it's just silly. Mm-hmm. And so... So I'm gonna, I'm, I can do, I can do other things. I can write, you know, I write really well, you know, and um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna somehow, you know, try and do something else. I mean, all this time I've survived by putting music as absolutely number one and squeezing in, you know, an absolute pittance by doing some grotty jobs, you know, which I've loathed and which have just kept me trapped in poverty, really. So that what's happened is that, you know, when some money comes from music, like a royalty or something like that, you know, then great. It's, 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 it's a thank God, you know, it means I can, I can, I can, you know, I can buy some new underwear, you know, or I can, you know what I mean? I can um, get a new hard drive in the eight track or something, you know, absolutely, you know, it just, it just, it just smooths the path that little bit. I hope any um, budding musician or artist is paying attention to this because uh, it's a revealing interview and um, that is also the, f- the final part of the interview with Stuart Moxham from the Young Marble Giants and a big thank you for giving me the time for that interview and uh, much appreciated. Anyway, we're almost at the end but I think I can squeeze in two more songs. I'll play another one from the Young Marble Giants. This is a track called NITA, Take It Away.
Machine. We rise, we 